I remember the first time that I played D and D as a GM. Mm. It was the year two thousand and uh, maybe I don't remember. Uh, <laughs> 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 no, um, so I was in college, and I was randomly there was a group of people from my algebra class because I'm terrible at math, so I was in an algebra class in college. <laughs> um, and we would go over to this girl's house every week, and we'd play board games. And it was, you know, low-level fun. It was mostly about hanging out. It was less about games. Well, one night, I couldn't sleep. So there I was, laying in bed. And all of a sudden, I got this crazy idea to just make up a D&D campaign. I didn't own a book. I'd never touched a D&D book before. I'd never played D&D before. Never? And I, in my head, never. Aside wow. from that one experience with my brother-in-law's dragon, which doesn't count. <laughs> and so i designed this little campaign room by room and then that next week i pitched it to this little group and they were very confused but they were a game and we played and uh i think that was actually the last time that that group ever got together not because of dnd but just it <laughs> happened sure? that way <laughs> sure yeah i you know i'm not sure uh, but that was my first experience i remember this was actually when i first met will that's and it me. was it was in at summer camp and I was talking to Will and I was a big fan of board games and I hadn't really met other people that really liked board games before. And then eventually we got to talking about D D and I had never played D D before. I'd always grown up with the stereotypes against it where people said you would be summoning Satan and all that. <laughs> Wait, did you grow up with that or is that your parents growing up? That was up my parents that? who told me. <laughs> That, to be exact. And I just believed them because it's like... They're why parents. would they lie? <laughs> yeah, why would they Why would they lie? See, Anyways. They were, they were mistaken. They were not lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Will talked to me about this campaign that he wanted to run where it was in a kind of like a post-apocalyptic planet. And I'm like, yeah, that sounds like great fun. Wait, so, is that was I in that one? Yeah. Yes. Oh, that yeah, started. Were there too. That started from yeah. a challenge where Will said, "I can make a D and D world out of anything," and I said, "That's that's impossible." <laughs> I said, "Make it," and I was just trying to think of something to stump him up, and I was like, "Okay, make it post-apocalyptic, but with magic." And he's like, "Done." And I was like, "What?" <laughs> and he's like, so, Jake, "We'll run it tonight." <laughs> I have a confession, Jake. I had actually been working on that that campaign setting for like months before, and then. <laughs> You tried to stump me, and you said the exact thing that I already oh had written a bunch God. of stuff for. And you were so impressed. I'm sorry that I have to shatter wow. your world right now. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so I had told David about wow. it before you had challenged me. You can't fight fate. Oh, my God. That's true, because I remember him like showing me his notes and everything that he was planning. Oh, my gosh. I didn't even know that there was that challenge. Yeah. Wow. Oh, my gosh. I like that you discovered this recorded so that everyone can hear your surprise. Oh, man. I thought I was going to stump you and you were just brilliant, but it turns out you were mm-hmm. pre-brilliant. Well, <laughs> well, that's what they call me. <laughs> and I remember Jake had this this great character. His name was Captain Kildrill. Oh, yeah. And he had a drill for a hand and he had a car door for a shield. <laughs> it was amazing yeah there was a part of the paper i think i wrote description and i just put gruff in all caps (laughs) yeah i remember that gruff and like the next three characters you played were all gruff it's like oh as you can see i'm uh i'm fairly gruff (laughs) (laughs) i think um for me the first time i ran DD. Might have been with some of our experiments with the super random system of making the superheroes. Uh, mm-hmm. And yeah. those were all kind of one shots and fun, little interesting kind of superhero hypothetical scenarios. I think the first time I, I like started a campaign was I lived with five guys um, in a house in college. And the house is called the Manistery. In the house, we decided we're just like, let's play D&D. So I had a few of the books Just like that. Yeah. Yeah. We were, we were really, um, really enthusiastic about it. So we started, I was the DM and that campaign lasted two years and it was just amazing. And that's actually the beginning of my current homebrew world was right there. Hmm. I just kind of drew out a primitive map and I've drawn out several more better maps as time went by. But like that was the start of it all. 
it felt so amazing, you know, being able to create your own worlds. It was like, for me, being a dungeon master for the first time was like incredibly formative and like eye-opening. It's an act of pure creation. Yeah, it's pure improvisation and yeah, just pure creative joy with other people. Welcome to Vox Arcana. I'm William. I'm Jake. I'm David. And this is a Dungeons and Dragons podcast, episode 11, Getting Started. Welcome to D&D, everybody. Oh, I feel so welcome. <laughs> As you can see, we have chips, pizza, sodas. How come there's this weird tray of green objects that are plant-like? <laughs> so if someone comes up to you and says, I want to start playing D&D, I'll be the dungeon master, I've got the player's handbook, uh, what do I need? What, what advice do you have for me before my first oh my session? Well, I would honestly start asking them more questions to see what they know uh-huh. and to see what their general experience is with D&D. Mm-hmm. Because obviously, if they have a player's handbook, they know a little bit about it. So I would kind of ask to see what what made them want to play D&D. Maybe if they've seen some D&D podcasts, for instance... There's Critical Role, which is really big. I know a lot of people watch that. Maybe they got into it through that. Things like that, just to kind of gauge their knowledge and to see where they might be lacking and where they might need information in. Just as a a follow-up, has this happened to you guys? Have you had um, someone come up and ask, like, I'm starting D&D. How do I do do it? Actually, I did um, recently. So I... I didn't know this, but I have this weird reputation in uh, in my circle of friends as being like the one who got them into D anD. d For even as I'm saying this, Jake and David only played D anD. d because well, actually maybe not for Jake, but David only does because I played it with him. And everyone that I know who plays it now plays it because they played it with me. And I was never trying to make people start their own game. I was just enthusiastically sharing this hobby that I love. Uh-huh. Or, or maybe it's like a meta hobby because it contains so many other disciplines. That's a, yeah. Anyway, so recently, uh, a guy who's playing in my game, he just called me up and he said, hey, um, I thought that our friends were starting a D&D group, but actually they've asked me to be the GM. And I'm like, wow. And he says, okay, so I got the beginner box and I'm reading through it and I'm really appreciating all the stuff that you do, all this prep and stuff. And uh, I said, okay. So he's saying he's trying to memorize all these things that happen and all these NPC names and this order of events. And um, he mentioned there's one encounter with the goblins in the, in the beginning of the, the, the Fandelver box set. Oh, game. yeah, yeah. Um, I, don't, I don't remember it taking place on a bridge, but he mentioned there's a bridge combat. Maybe it's not. It's in the box set, but maybe it's a different encounter. Anyway, and so he's saying, so I wrote out everything that can happen. Like, what if they fight on top of the bridge? What if they go under the bridge? And he's like physically like writing out every contingency oh my I said, gosh and i said don't do that i said all you have to do is imagine the situation as realistically as you can like here's a bridge here's these enemies you're in a forest whatever and if you have a realistic view of it then you will know what would happen if the situation changes yeah so if somebody mm-hmm. like climbs up from under the bridge to attack you like you don't have to have written that somewhere you just think to yourself and picture it in your head and you go yeah that's oh my gosh that's can you imagine writing down every hypothetical of every every encounter that that the players experience that would be it'd be an infinite amount of things wait what really yes so um so i mentioned in the um the beginning of the show that i just made up my own D &D. well from that moment even though i never played with that same group i was just the only people that i could play with was my family And so I sat down and and I never owned any system books. I just had this idea of what I imagined D&D was. And I tried to make that happen. So I had a single D20 donated, actually given to me by my brother-in-law. And I wrote out this this terrible adventure. (laughs) And they were in the tavern. And I wrote it like like you would program a game where it's like, okay, I want to look at the barmaid. What does she look like? Here's my written description. I want to talk to the barmaid. What does she say? I want to ask her about X thing. What does she say? And I had like three pages of typed up notes block by block, like a choose your own adventure book. Wow. And so as soon as I got to play, 
my players immediately, they don't do what I thought. I wasn't prepared for that. <laughs> and I had to make it up. And I was like, oh my gosh, I wasted so much time mm-hmm. trying to anticipate their actions. Huh. I came at it from almost an opposite perspective. I feel like I'm pr- I'm a pretty good improvisational guy. And so I went into it originally just like, let's do this. Fly by the seat of my pants. Like, whatever happens, happens. Um, and it worked out, you know, fairly well. But there were things that once I finished, you know, especially the day after, I'd be like, oh, I could have done that better. You know, I'd be like, oh, that would have been so much better if that was planned out or if I'd had something prepared. So I came at it from the opposite direction of this pure improv fly by the seat of my pants. And then I learned to prepare later. Hmm. I, I think I came at it from a different angle as well. The way I approached it was I almost had a story written and it would it would go you know a b c and then d and i would expect everything to happen in this specific order and all of these things to take place so if the players got a little bit off the rails it would be it would just be chaos almost because (laughs) (laughs) i didn't know what to do because i'm like oh well if they don't do this then this doesn't happen and this doesn't happen and just everything went awry so i think for me i had to really learn to be more improv based and to be able to just kind of take things in a different direction than what I had planned. Mm-hmm. Um, recently my coworker who had no idea, like he'd heard of D and D, but he was asking me, how do you prepare for that? And I didn't really have an answer. Like he was asking, how do you tell a story that's not linear? How do you even plan for a world when you don't know what's going to happen? And I just keep falling back to what I told that guy um, the other day. You have to have such a strong image of your world and your characters and your mind. Think of Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. This this book and the show is famous for killing off main characters. And normally in a world, that wouldn't work. Like, if you killed Aragorn in Lord of the Rings, you'd have problems. Or if you killed Frodo, like, oh my gosh. what? First of all, what an amazing twist that would yeah, be. Yeah, what a cool hypothetical... Um, scenario i want to kind of run a D &D in middle earth with frodo dying oh that'd be interesting oh do it frodo dies that'd be amazing to have like like the the whole Mm. fellowship dying and you having to take take their mantle (laughs) i love it just a nobody that has to like fill the void that's a great idea it's a great idea that i didn't know that i had um but (laughs) if you take any character out of game of thrones the world goes on because the world doesn't oh. care about any one person, even if they are a high-up royal person, right? Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And so it's like the, the cogs of reality just continue to turn. And, and that's how you need to think about your world, where the game doesn't stop because a player dies or because even the villain dies. This has led me down this really strange path of just having to know more about how the world works in very specific ways so that I can simulate this. Like when I was young and, and the, you know, we go to a kingdom, and the players say, well, I'm going to go meet the king. I'm like, okay. You walk into his throne room and say hi. Like, because I just, I didn't know what they had to do to get to a king. You don't walk into Washington, D.C. and meet the president. <laughs> or any any government building. Even at like a, go to your city council, right? Like, you're not going to walk in and meet the mayor. Um, mm-hmm. and, and understanding like the level of detail that I was missing was really key to presenting a much more believable world. So I think this presents a very interesting paradox of, in our world building episode, we talked about how we shouldn't focus so much on world building and building the worlds, you know, from the outside in and these vast struggles and the history of everything. But also at the same time, you're saying we should know our world incredibly well in order to make interesting things happen and, and, and to be able to anticipate different actions by the players. So how do those work together? Well, I, I actually disagree with that. It's not about knowing the world. It's just knowing logic and how the world and how and how things interact with each other and i think that is more of a skill set that you have to develop over time and through common knowledge and lore that you're going to be able to slowly be able to put into your game Mm -hmm. so here's an example i could give you so um in the world building episode we talked about sort of starting at a small detail like a village a small level and you build it out from there um jake it sounds like you're thinking that these ideas are kind of diametrically opposed but um these are different enough so um if we're starting with the village the way i would think of it so i don't know anything else about the rest of the kingdom or the world but i know 
that in really any time period, there's a reason that people choose certain locations for buildings. Like there must be a resource they're getting. There must be water nearby. There must be farmland nearby, right? So already just saying there's a village, I already know certain things about the world that maybe I'm not even thinking about directly. But I, when I need to know that, I know that that's there. Hmm. Does that make sense? So it's, it's also kind of an, an, uh, an exercise in logic as well as... Mm-hmm any other fantasy generation like it's just it's this leads to this and that logically makes this yeah and so that that was a big hurdle i had to overcome so uh, i'm afraid that people listening to this are like holy crap i need to know everything about like farming and castles and stuff you don't really but um just having a sort of thinking about this and and even if you're wrong um i think you can sort of uh what's the right word just critically think your way through a certain scenario or situation and figure out like this is how the world would work. Huh. So let's say uh, the, the adventurers are going to a village. The first question you could ask yourself is why is the village there? What, what resources are around? What is, what's purpose? Does it serve? Is it on a trade route? Is it producing resources? Just asking the, the question, why, why is that castle there? What is it protecting? Who lives in it? Things like that. Asking more questions can give you more informed answers. And it can help develop the world in a better way. So when you're developing a world, just ask more questions about your world. And you'll start to get a more rich and full world full of interesting things. Huh. Yeah. What do you think, Jake? Is this uh, something you wouldn't normally do? I mean, it, for me, this whole topic is is kind of a struggle for me. Because it's <laughs> I, I, I'm such a forever dm you know i i've i dm several separate games that are ongoing right now and i i haven't been a player in a long time well i mean i guess i played with you guys online a little bit but it's mm. yeah going back to my first session and trying to get into the mindset of like my fears and what i needed um i mean i feel like i don't know i feel like the bottom line is just play and oh, yeah. get over those fears or get over those um, get over those ideas that you may not be good enough or the players won't have, you know, the concept that you're not going to look like Matt Mercer when you're out there. Um, it, it doesn't matter. It's just getting human beings in a room and interacting with them and role-playing with them and improving a beautiful, wonderful orchestra together. Um, I think that's the, the wonder of it. And so, I guess to any first, kind of going back to the question, any first time DM asking me what I need to know, I mean, there'd be a few things, but the overarching theme would be like, just play, find a time, yeah. start play. And because all of these things that we talk about are skills that you gain from playing. Um, yes. And it's very yeah. hard to anticipate skills you'll need for D and D without playing D and D. It's very hard. Mm-hmm. I think you, yeah, I think that's a great point. Because with any skill, you have to practice in order to develop it. You can be, mm-hmm. you can know how something is done, but until you do it yourself, you're not going to have the experience to be able to do it well. Mm-hmm. So I can watch someone play baseball, but that doesn't mean I can play baseball. <laughs> True. I can know the the mechanics of swinging a bat, but that doesn't mean I'm going to be able to connect with the ball anytime that I'm trying to hit it. I have to go out there and I have to practice. Same thing with D&D. In order to be a good DM, you have to practice. You have to play. You have to play a lot. It takes a lot of time to get better. Yeah, and absolutely. There are, there are people who are great DMs, and they've been playing for years, and they're constantly getting better. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things that I would have to say is evaluate your games when you're done with them and learn from them. Use them to, to analyze them. Ask yourself what went well, what went poorly, and how you can improve in future games because if you're not thinking about your games critically you're not going to be improving as a dm that's that's one way that you can stagnate as a someone who is trying to improve um so ask yourself that but also ask your players especially if you have players who are um good at giving constructive feedback sadly uh a lot of players are just gonna be like well that sucked like this thing that happened to my character sucked and that's not really helpful um but like after every game i'm asking my players well what'd you like didn't like like i'm trying out this new mechanic or this new system tell me what you think 
and that's really helpful. Um, personally, like I've never been happy with how I GM, and so it's been this constant journey of essentially self-improvement because there are a lot of skills that go into D&D. But as uh, Jake was saying, you just have to do it. Like Right now, if you are thinking about playing your first game, you should just pick a date, pick your, your group out, and just go, and you will be ahead of most of these other people who are just still thinking about it. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, also coming from the from the opposite end though, I play D D a lot. Like a lot. <laughs> um nice. and I can definitely stagnate and I can definitely relax and just have a few beers and just rely on my improvisational skills um as opposed to planning mm-hmm. it out, as opposed to getting better. So you guys, I feel like you guys don't get to play D and D as much, sadly. Um, so yeah. instead of that, True. you will find some sources uh, online or otherwise that will provide you with inspiration that you will use to improve your next game. And I use these as well, but I kind of have I'm lucky to be able to play D and D just all the time. Uh, but what are some of these sources you use to improve when you're not playing? Because there's there's an abundance out there. Oh, well, the first one is a podcast called Vox Arcana. Oh, it posts great. every Monday with new episodes. <laughs> yeah, I rated them five oh, stars. Oh, man, I hear it's great. Uh, and if you haven't rated it five stars, you should go and do that right now. <laughs> I'm gonna, I guess we could just go around, like give one from each category. For videos, chances are you already know about WebDM. The, oh yeah, they're just great. They're on YouTube. These guys just talk. Um, they actually have a much more mechanical focus on the game, which is funny because it made me realize how I don't have a mechanical focus because they're talking about multi-classing and all this stuff, and I'm like, holy crap! There's this whole new side of the game that they love that I well, I don't hate it, but I just ignored, and so it was really a refreshing uh, point of view for me. Yeah, I, I love WebDM. They're they're super they're super great. I think another one for me is uh, Sly Flourish. Um, yeah. he's got cool. some great stuff. I think he, he mostly blogs, uh, but his, his stuff is very, um, tight knit. It's very, uh, compact, easy to, to swallow. He's not, you know, waxing poetical about D and D. He wants to get to the meat of the matter as fast as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love on Twitter, he has these, these polls, um, where he asks about, uh, certain stuff, from a player's perspective of like, what is the worst thing about your games or what is one way that you can improve or what do you hate most about combat and all of these things, seeing the answers from, you know, even if it's a small sample, you know, but he'll get a good 200 replies and that data is so interesting to dig through and see what people honestly anonymously think about their D and D games and, and what we as DMs need to focus on most. I've actually read his book. It's called The Lazy DM's Guide, I think. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it costs like five bucks for the PDF. The book is like a, uh, a statistical survey. Like he uses that data and he makes conclusions and he says, well, here's how you improve this or remove this. Super useful and a really quick read. Um, yeah, that is Sly Flourish. Mm-hmm. For videos, I would probably say either Critical Role or just whatever hot movies out this summer what i love i love watching movies and see how they seeing how they tell stories and seeing what interesting things that they do to develop their world and the interesting things that they include in them like watching infinity war in the beginning i'm not going to say any spoilers but in the beginning there's a great battle with dr strange and iron man and a bunch of other people and the just the interaction between them is so inspiring for magic just, battles. just magic battles in general. Huh. And it's super cool. I love it. Yeah, so that kind of stuff is really inspiring for me. Yeah, I think because D&D is just, it's just storytelling at the, at the very basis of it. And so I, I feel like you can get inspiration from so many places when you keep that in mind, right? Like movies, books, video games, mm-hmm. like all of these things can um you can you can grab stuff from and rip them out and pull them into your own games when i was first doing my first campaign uh several years ago my players would always laugh because they'd notice things in my games and they could track them back to the most recent movies i've seen (laughs) and so like even going back to kind of dr strange a little bit uh, i introduced this wizard that was all about portals um, and was trying to get them to a faraway land uh, and 
at the end, you know, they kind of had some cool battles with the, this this portal wizard and stuff like that. And they're like, wait, is this because you just saw Doctor Strange? And I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah, it, it is. So I, I will oftentimes pull inspiration from things I've seen because, yeah, I mean, that's the cool thing about D&D is you can steal anything from anywhere and just put it into your game. Like, there's no copyright. There's no, you, you know, like, no one has a monopoly on these story beats or these cool inspirational settings or ideas. Like, you can take from anywhere and put it in your game. Just, just steal it. It's okay. It is kind of, um, this might be a hazard of the hobby, in fact, because you, I've only been doing this for 10 years or so, but everything everything in my life goes into the hopper of D&D that is my brain and gets funneled <laughs> yeah. into some gameplay thing or an idea. Like, um, so we were, my wife and I were recently in Chicago. Is that right? But we're looking out over that massive lake that really does look like the ocean. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I was visualizing a six mile hex overlaid over the city to like, you know, because it's such a, a vast space. Uh -huh. and I'm thinking if you were walking, like where, you know, how do you divide this up if you were to grid it out? And my wife's like, what are you thinking? And I'm like, ah, D&D. &D. <laughs> <laughs> I think, Will, that speaks testament to your your very amazing brain as far as that hopper of D&D &D is. <laughs> because I, I think if we do the math of how much I play D&D &D versus how much I think about D&D, &D, I probably think about D&D about three times as much as I'm playing. I think Will thinks about D&D about 10,000 times <laughs> the amount of time it, you know, that he's playing. I, I, you're you're really pretty close there. I, <laughs> yeah. It, I'm actually almost never not thinking about D&D <laughs> in some form or fashion. Wow. So another one that's that's really great to look at is here we're big fans of D, the fifth edition of D&D, you know, we that's mm. kind of what we focus on and talk about the most. I think the creators of the system are the best to to look at. Um D&D &D has oh, yeah. a good yeah. marketing team that puts out all sorts of videos uh for just random stuff. They'll put out videos on lore, um they'll put out stuff on D&D &D Beyond, uh they'll put out stuff on the official D&D &D podcast. Um all that stuff is very useful and it's very interesting to see the creators perspective um on the game and how they have to oftentimes clarify things and how they can kind of show their intentions um of how they crafted how they made this game for new dms if you're not aware of this every other week wizards of the coast they release uh, pdfs of playtest material that they call unearthed arcana mm -hmm. and a lot of the times these are just the house rules of the game developers that have been kind of just written out and, and published and so you're yeah. seeing like really raw creative stuff super cool yeah it's pretty interesting a lot of it they released a new initiative system a couple of months back that was really controversial um i would be willing to test it out um they, all kinds of stuff like that is released all the time so aside from all this inspiration sometimes you can get you know a ton of inspiration but you really need to know what do i need to play D D, and so Let's get into that. Like when someone is is making a game, what are the bare necessities? What do they need? What is absolutely necessary to to begin your first game of D and D? Okay, um, all mm. you really need is some paper, pref preferably graph paper, which you can print out for free online if you have a printer. That's true. <laughs> Pencils or pens. Um, you can get the free rules for Five E online, the starting rules mm -hmm. uh, in a nice PDF, which you could probably print out as well. And then um, if you don't have physical dice, you can just get a dice roller app, which are also free either online in general or as an app on your phone. So that costs you as much as the paper and the ink. And that's about it. And your pens and pencils. So sure. like five <laughs> bucks, maybe. I mean, I'd I say less than that. Yeah. If you're like yeah. a student, like you already have these things. Mm -hmm. And so you can just be going. As far as like preparing yourself to play, you need friends or at least people who are interested in playing with you. Well, that uh, cancels me enough, out. Oh, <laughs> oh no. <laughs> um, a big complaint I see online is people who are like, well, I don't know people. I don't have friends. Um, my advice is go out into the world, like find a community that you can connect with, whether that is a church group or like an after school program or um, your local board game shop. Yeah, There's absolutely. Meetup you can do. Yeah, game shops are good, but um, I personally, 
I only prefer to play with people I already know, or at least that I've met before outside of the game. So maybe, I don't know if you go to bars or whatever, like find a reason to go out into the world and meet people. Yeah. Or go online. There's online games are a thing, but I don't prefer them because I think there's a lot of, a lot of cool things are lost when you can't see the people you're talking to. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so essentially it's free to play D&D. This is the best free to play game you will ever play. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's accurate. <laughs> I had to think for a second, but it's accurate. <clears throat> I think also D and D Beyond is free for the basic features. That's yeah. true. Yeah, you, there's a lot of free stuff that you can take advantage of online. So, yeah, I think free stuff like in regards to my first games, um, especially back before I was playing Fifth Edition, like I was role playing with nothing. The only thing <laughs> I had was a D twenty. That's it. Yeah, and. That's- all of super random was designed with just the GM creates a target number and you roll it. Yeah. And that was all. Yeah. I remember I played a game at summer camp once we used a flip flop as the dice (laughs) and I don't remember who was telling the story, but someone had was making up a random story and we're all just kind of going along and improving and having fun. Were they interpreting the flip flop? Yes. They would interpret how it landed and say whether or not you succeeded or failed. Oh my gosh. I mean, this this goes back to just what the core of D&D is. is it's just storytelling, but mm. there's an element of randomness. And that's it. Yep. Like, it's just, it's anything on top is just extra. <laughs> there's a quote that I love that says, you don't need rules to pretend to be an elf. <laughs> you just don't. <laughs> that's so good. Oh my gosh, that's so good. So now that we kind of, you know, getting away from the philosophical what D&D is, when you're thinking about making a group and starting for the first time, what matters most is is players. Um, like who's yes. going to be around the table. So, so how do you pick your players? That You know, this is kind of an art more than a science. Yeah. Um, but because I'm always thinking about D&D, it also means that I'm always recruiting. And what that means is I've gotten very good at just subtly dropping hints into conversation to kind of fish to see people's interests. Uh-huh. Um, if you hang around me long enough, I'm going to ask you what do you do for fun. And I find this is just a great way to talk to people about themselves. But yeah, so just sort of fishing around and finding people who are interested. And, and honestly, I find a lot of people when I ask them or i say have you ever played D&D? They're, they always say i haven't but i've always wanted to mm-hmm. and i've gotten that answer more often than i get like the weird look because because of my previous questions i usually don't even ask people if i know that they're going to give me a weird look when i say about D. yeah that's true and i think the amount of people that will give you a weird look or be like wait is that a video game or they go oh wait is that where you dress up like a wizard you know, like the, those people are disappearing because D&D is becoming mainstream. Like, you know, show mm-hmm. like sitcoms like Community have had several D&D episodes. You know, Sheldon on The Big Bang Theory mentions Dungeons and Dragons. Like these things are inserting themselves into pop culture to the point. Harmon Quest. Oh, yeah. Harmon Quest. Like into pop culture to the point where it's not a crazy thing to ask. You're not very rarely are you going to get someone who is like, what you're one of those people, you know, like you're that's incredibly rare. And I think talking about it more and more, you'd be surprised how little people will judge you for playing D and D nowadays, which is amazing. Yeah. And if they don't play D and D with me, then honestly, there's other things that I can do with people mm-hmm. just because I like having fun in all forms. Um, so it's not every like- form. <laughs> it's not like they say um oh i watch football i'm like uh bye (laughs) later nerd (laughs) but i'm like hey you know like let's go get a beer or something yeah i just i love talking to people and maybe fundamentally this is what makes me different than a lot of people is i just enjoy people for who they are in a lot of ways not i'm not saying like universally but in general i like people and i like spending time and i like getting to know them and D is a great way to do that but also board games are a great way to do that mm-hmm. and um you know going out and hanging out with them is a great way to do that so i guess just be a fan of people <sighs> hmm. so the advice i would give someone asking about gathering a group is this sounds bad but i would essentially make a list in your mind, don't share this with anyone, but have a list of who you most want to play with and from the most to the least. And the person at the bottom of your list should be 
among those people the least likely you want to play D&D, but you still would want to play with them. Okay. And on this list, I'd start at number one, and I would just send them a text message, um, send them a message on Facebook, whatever, ask them, hey, do you want to play D&D? You know, are you free on Tuesday nights? Whatever, ask them to play. And then keep going down to number two, three, four, five. And as soon as you have three or more people, you're good. And I think, like, that is how I would do it. Um, it, it sounds bad ranking people, but, like... Yeah, I think you should be very, very selective of who you play with. Hmm. I think that group selection is probably the most important part of D&D. Yeah. Because it's really? such a delicate thing. Oh, yeah. Think of if you have a group of people and everybody's right except one person. And even if they're just a little off, like they don't take it as seriously or they want to make fun of everybody, like that can ruin the whole night. And so if you don't yeah. get it right the first, like, in the in the first round, then you find yourself in a position where you have to have conversations about... Um, behavior or expectation, and and I think you should have those conversations anyway. But it's a lot easier if you are careful up front. Yeah, yeah. So a question for you guys then is, what are some things to look out for for people who you wouldn't want to include in your group? Some red flags. Yeah, what are some red flags <sighs> for players who you might not want to invite? I guess it just depends on what type of game you're wanting to play. Um, because red flags look different if you're playing a real gamer focused game. I mean, going back to my whole RP and G, like the role, the play and the game, like honestly, I mean, going back to what I said, when you text the people to, to ask them to play D and would ask, I would just put out, okay, there's role. Do you want to role play? Really get into character, really think about accents and backstory then play, do you just want to have a good time and try this out? And game, do you want to really care about the game of it? Does, do you want it to be more competitive? Do you want it to be more about the numbers and math? And I would say that and say, pick one. Or like, which one do you like the most? And then when they give an answer, you'll be able to see, you know, what kind of game these people want. And as a DM, if you really want to play a gaming type game and everyone is sending you role stuff about how they're really interested about backstories and how they want to sound, how, how they want their character to sound, stuff like that, you could maybe be like, that's a red flag and be like, I don't want to play a game that's, you know, maybe that's not my style of game. So I think it's, it's knowing what kind of game you want and knowing what kind of game the players want, because if those match up, the game will work every time. But if those are differing, I mean, it may not be a catastrophic failure, but I think the players will slowly lose interest or maybe be on their phone most of the time, maybe start missing more sessions. So I think it's important to just really communicate up front what their expectations are and what your expectations are and just make sure they, for the most part, match up. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. That's so, pretty good. Yeah. That was great advice, Jake. Um the only thing that I would add is their availability. Like some people oh. really are super busy. And um, I, I kind of alluded to this, but I don't think I was perfectly clear on it a few episodes ago. Um, the kind of people that I love to play with are inherently and necessarily some of the most busy people I know. Because they have interesting lives and they work hard and they're just like cool. Um, so oddly enough, the people who don't have a lot, or sorry, the people who do have a lot of free time, I'm probably less likely to hang around with. But then again, right now, everybody that I know is pretty busy. But yeah, availability is a huge issue because if you can't really tell a cohesive story if half of the cast is gone every week or you're having to reschedule all the time. Yeah. And that's, you might as well just have a different group at that point. Yeah. I think, I don't know. In our modern world that's so busy and oftentimes so isolating, you know, with us relying on technology to communicate and social media to interact with our friends. I think D&D is such a fresh escape from this new technological world we live in where it's you are mm -hmm. literal people in a real room interacting with each other physically like that's sadly getting rarer and rarer in our modern world. So I think a lot of times people see this opportunity to interact in person, you know, even things like board game nights and just hanging out. They're becoming rarer and rarer, and people are going to be more likely to be like, oh, yes, yes, this is what I've been wanting. This is what I've been craving without realizing it. 
I think that's part of why we're seeing the hobby grow as much as it has just in the past few years, mm-hmm. because it is a, uh, it's so bizarre to say that hanging out together physically is such a new thing. Yeah. That's so it's surprising. weird. I think about like a lot of what people do and it's, and it's, there's not a lot of activities that people just consistently do on a regular basis where you can just hang out and have fun with people. So one of the things one of the things that I like to do when recruiting new players is just run a one shot. Oh. That can really just gauge who you might want to continue playing with, who you might not want to, and just kind of gauge the the personality of the players. So if you have a couple of gamery people in that one shot and some people who are role play, you can you can get them into different games where they might have more fun in the future Mm -hmm. and you can make it a more casual one shot type thing and then go to a more serious campaign where you can get people who are going to be able to consistently make a schedule every week or every other week and who really cohesively go together I think that's really smart, David, because um, it solves a lot of problems. Because if you do have a problem player, then it was just only one game. There's no commitment. Um, also, you can try different genres. Because maybe some people, like I know people who've told me like they don't like fantasy. They huh. just don't. It doesn't appeal to them at all. But they would play in a sci-fi game or they would play in like a modern wizard kind of game. Um, but also, I think the most important thing is a one-shot is so low commitment. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying, oh, come to my house every week for the next 10 years. Like, that's crazy. <laughs> I'm saying, no, we'll just come I'm one saying night, that. two. <laughs> and then next time, come for the next 10 years. Oh, yeah, that's the dream. We want to make every player just sort of level up into the next bracket of, like, seriousness. Yeah. And, and uh, yeah, David, you nailed it. Yeah, I think it's ridiculously easy to do a one-shot. Like I said, the first games of, not really D&D, but the first role-playing games I played were just me surrounded by friends with one D20 die. and <laughs> Making it up. So I think this is something I've tried with a few people, is I'll say, hey, play D&D. You know, really, like, I'll be evangelical about it, just like, play D&D. And they'll be like, ah, I don't know. I don't know if I'd be good at it. I'm not good at making stuff up. I can't do an accent, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, okay, j- can we just try it? And so what I would do is I just have a D20, and in order to avoid them getting into character at all, I just say, okay, you are you in this game. And we're just going to do a hypothetical, and I'm going to roll the die to see what happens, what transpires because of your decisions. So in order to keep it in a setting that they're used to, I just say, okay, you're here, you're in this building we're in, or you're at this location we're at, and suddenly the zombie apocalypse happens. And there are Mm -hmm. zombies approaching you, what do you do? And you'll see that's very easy because potentially maybe they've mm-hmm. thought about what they do in a zombie apocalypse or, you know, it's an easy thing to be able to visualize. And so yeah, you'll like see great... pl- you'll see people who are so afraid. They'll be like, I can't play D&D. I don't know how to play. I- I'm just I'm too nervous. I'm not good at improving. whatever. You'll see them go, oh, I immediately go to a car and take out a crowbar. You know, like they're just like <laughs> like they they're into it. And you're like and that's mm-hmm. I think that's a really easy way to subtly show people what role-playing games are um, to show people what um, yeah. D can be it's so so simple if you let it just be simple i think it's a great way to just squeeze people or just to nudge people into the hobby without them even really realizing it yeah retweet yeah i think <laughs> even you can even go simpler where just asking someone a hypothetical question and depending upon their answer could really gauge their interest in something like that. Yeah. Like hypothetically, like if all the lights turned off, what would you do? Yeah. <laughs> wow, that's easily the worst plot hook I've ever heard. <laughs> that's the worst <laughs> plot hook. I'm using that in my but next it's game. The first thing that came to my head. <laughs> I mean that could be a great plot hook if you're deep in a dungeon. It's like your torch goes out. <laughs> um okay. You hear voices echoing. <laughs> Okay, so oftentimes, you know, when people are asking how to start, we have to talk about the first session. Um, Oftentimes, this is Mm. session one, but a lot of times it's referred to as session zero. Um, This is the session where you can set expectations or do character creation. I'm sure we'll have an episode in the future about session zero specifically and character creation. But how do you guys do a first session? Do you like to have everyone show up? meet each other, uh, 
make their characters or do you like them to make their characters independently and then show up at the table and just start? Hmm. I mean, for if you're playing with a bunch of people who haven't played before, honestly, your best bet is to go with a pre-made character. Oh, that's you a good have point. have a bunch of pre-made, pre-made printouts. And then maybe they can tweak the backgrounds or give them a different name or yeah. whatever. But having that already can give you a good gateway into the game. Because if you haven't played before, you don't know the decisions that you're making. So just getting in and playing a few games and starting to understand what the classes do and all the different abilities do, then you can make a better character later on. But starting out, just go with a pre-made. That's smart. Um, so session one is session one is like the official start of the game, right? Like yeah, we're starting this night. Campaign. We're gonna, it, yeah. It's really starting, but then session zero is like prep leading up to that. Uh-huh. So um, I guess so. I agree with David, but if you have players who want, like, they're really motivated to make their own characters, then I would try to have everyone together because then they can kind of ask each other questions or help each other if they have varying levels of skill. Um, I have done it where I've met with people individually and i've made them characters but then that feels more like a meeting and it really set this <laughs> awesome tone i mean really because you're like i'm meeting with you to do this paperwork it's gonna be great like it doesn't set them up in the, in the mindset to be ready to play whereas if you're all together it's like oh well maybe my character like <laughs> one time my character is actually the child of this character and that totally Ooh. sets up the relationship yeah and that was super fun yeah i think um for me, my first game of 5th edition Dungeons & Dragons, I lived with all the guys that I was playing with. And it was so nice to just go knock on their door and go in their room. And we made our characters together. So then the first time they showed up, they were already in character. They already had their backstory. They'd already been planning future, you know, potential plot hooks with me, the DM. So that is nice. But oftentimes, yeah, I think it's it's tough to do that. But... I think going back to what David said, I think pre-mades do work if you're looking at the collective experience of the table. So not the individual experience, you know, because you could have some people that are new to the game and some people that are veterans, but you got to look at the collective experience of the table. Um, And if that collective experience is pretty high, um, you can let them create their own characters and then the veterans can then help the newbies out and i found that just so satisfying i've played some campaigns where i've had one veteran who was just like yeah i have time to play another DD session each week and he joined me and i'm playing with a bunch of people who've never played before and he's kind of acting almost as my mini dm uh not in the form of like making any you know narrative decisions or anything like that but he is kind of guiding the players like he's kind of leading the party he's kind of showing them how their character sheets work and it's taken a lot of the load off of me and it's been it's been really nice so like i said you have to look at the collective experience of the table and if that's high enough i'd say yeah let them make their own characters but if you know it's all newbies or they're you know the collective experience of the table is pretty low i'd say pre-mades work fine especially if it's a one-shot just to gauge how they play or just to introduce them to the game. I think pre-mades are underrated. What you don't want is to go to session one and everybody's making their characters. The first time I ever made D&D characters where I walked people through the process, Uh I think it took at least 50 minutes per character. Really? Yes. And and obviously they were kind of going at the same time roughly, but we wasted probably about two hours of that first session when we should have been playing making. And that was just so disappointing because the players are ready to go, right? Like they, they want to just experience this weird thing that people have told them about. And then they wind up just sort of doing their taxes for two hours. <laughs> that's, <Yeah. laughs> that's so true. Like I'm a, oh. I'm a huge advocate of pre-made characters. And if you're, if you're inexperienced or the, the party is even remotely inexperienced, I would just say go with a mm-hmm. set of pre-made characters. You can also kind of with that you have a little more control over the game. You can you can control like relatives, you can control kind of the what what you want the makeup of the party to be and it can have more interesting dynamics when you do that. Yeah, it reminds me of like speaking of pre-mades uh from Community, the first Dungeons and Dragons episode of that show <laughs> where oh, Abed yes. makes a pre-made for each for each player and he designs it for each player specifically 
And then he lays him out, and everyone takes a random one. And, and he's like, oh, I... Okay. <laughs> like, it's so funny to see the different players obviously playing as characters that were assigned to someone else in the group. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, also important for session zero is just communicating your expectations. Yeah. Um, this is your chance to talk about table manners, um, time considerations, whatever is important to you. Um, in my case, I have a um, kind of a PG-13 level of violence inside the game. I don't really care about what's happening at the table unless there's younger players or something. But um, like, I don't want to have these R or X-rated descriptions of like decapitation just because I, th- I think to myself, I keep it sort of star wars e right like they have people being stabbed but you're not seeing blame you're not seeing brain splatter this isn't a quentin tarantino film oh man um, i guess mine is <laughs> <laughs> and that's up to you right like you need to establish that early on because there might be players who are thinking they're getting a star wars violence level and and everyone else is giving them tarantino and that can really um make them uncomfortable and i guess the bottom line is you don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable you want them to be in your world enjoying it and just having a good time and so just minimizing all those things that are going to take away from that this is your chance yeah i think it's very important to communicate expectations even in the you know stuff even in the minor stuff such as like food and attendance Uh and be like hey guys really try to be here on time really try to make this a priority and if you can't just tell me you can't um and yeah, don't ghost me yeah yeah exactly um it's much better for you to be like i can't make it this session or saying i can't make it a month from now so then me as the dm i can i can plan around that i can have you pass out or i can have you um go off for a session it, it just makes it so much easier when there's that communication um as opposed to like you said will ghosting um so the <laughs> communications about everything are just so vital and sometimes it's awkward to be like yeah, guys, we want to keep it PG-13 or I can't imagine ever saying that. But, you know, certain things <laughs> like you want to make sure everyone's on the same page. Like the worst case scenario is someone uh, you guys are halfway through the campaign and someone is just like, oh, no, this isn't what I thought it was. That's a nightmare. I have, a, I have an example of this happening. We had a player just sort of join our campaign in the middle and none of us are really close friends with him. He was sort of a friend of a friend. And then the other friends stopped coming, but this guy didn't. And he wanted PvP all the time. Oh, man. And so his character background and every decision he made was based on um, not getting along with anybody. And it was terrible. Like, it almost broke up our group. Oh, like, no. we didn't want to meet together. But that was because nobody was willing to say to him, hey, we we don't want you to come anymore. Um, eventually, though, because of our pacificity... Um, he, he actually didn't get along with us uh, above the table, right? Like in real life, because he was bored and he we weren't reciprocating what he was putting out. Oh. So he eventually left. Yikes. There's a really negative, I don't want to call it a trope, but a behavior that is a common occurrence at the table. Uh-huh. And that is that the DM has their little world and their story that they are, uh, you have the privilege of experiencing with them. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that is wrong. Mm-hmm. Like I don't I don't often say that about like D&D because mm-hmm. I think there is kind of a spectrum of experiences there, but um if the DM is antagonistic and punishing players and um just not caring about how they feel or the fun they're having, it's not going to be fun. And if you're that DM, like your players are not going to come back. You're going to be finding new players all the time because <laughs> they don't want to play with you. Yeah. Um so I guess it's just don't be a jerk, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, I think putting the players first and like viewing them as kind of the vehicle for the game because they, I mean, they are, um, and and really treating their fun as the utmost importance. And that's why the role of the DM is such an interesting role that I can't really think of a parallel to. You know, you're wearing so many different hats. And the uh, the players, if we're thinking of it like a play, they're both the performers and the audience. Yes. Right? And it's yeah. and so I don't know what that makes the DM in this story, just like he's, the narrator he's the and the writer. Playwright, and the, director. the director, he's, but also and the he's audience. Also the scenery and also the audience. <laughs> right. Like it's it's a really strange thing to define. Yeah. Um but so all the best D D experiences I've had have have not been because I'm a great DM, but because I have had great players. Huh. Every single one. I can be the best DM in the world, but if the players are disengaged because of me, like I'm doing it wrong. That's... And the players are not having fun, I'm doing it wrong. Yeah. Yeah. That it's a group experience. Like you have to remember that. You're doing this together. 
And the more you work to get along with everyone else in your group, the more everyone's going to have fun. And if you're working alone, you might as well just go write a book. <laughs> That's a great point. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If the players aren't doing what you want and you're just frustrated, you might consider just writing a story. <laughs> for real. What do you think would be some good wrapping up advice for new new dungeon masters out there? I think my main advice would be indulge in cliché. Really okay. like use tropes, use things that like people are familiar with. When you're playing D&D, these people probably have seen Star Wars, they probably seen Lord of the Rings or read Lord of the Rings. They they know about all these cultural story elements that we're so used to, but they haven't seen them in a role-playing game. And if they haven't seen them, just use them all the time. Use all sorts of cliches and stuff people have seen before because they'll recognize them. It'll be like that little little hit of nostalgia. And they'll be like, oh, this is like this. Or, oh, that character is like a Gandalf figure. Or, oh, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, if you do that too much... I, you can kind of it can kind of take away from the story but for the most part if the players are all new really really indulge in these classic tropes the, these cliches that they've seen over and over because they'll recognize them they'll get a hit of nostalgia it'll really oil the gears of the game because they'll they'll understand they aren't in some foreign environment they aren't experiencing brand new plot twists that kind of knock them off their feet Give them things that they're used to to hold on to. There's always plenty of time later once these tropes are established for them to be deconstructed or um, treated differently or or defied. Um, and you can really give some cool plot twists later, but only after you've established all of these classic fantasy tropes up front. Like, really don't be afraid to use them. I think that's great. My advice is if you are planning on playing D&D, just start playing. And do it as often as you can and be as good as you can. A lot of our listeners are coming in from Critical Role or other D&D podcasts, um, which I have a confession, actually. I've only watched half of one episode of Critical Role ever. Yikes, get Whoa. out of here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you just have to do it. And you're, you're probably going to suck. And it's going to be weird. But you're going to learn all of the things you're bad at. But you're also going to learn all the things you're good at. And you can start improving right now. Um, you're young. And you have time to be really good. So there's people listening right now who are younger than me, who are learning faster, and they're going to go farther than me. And that's awesome. I want to play in your game. Oh, that's great. When you're good, that is. <laughs> Only if you're good. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think I, I, have a, I have a few small pieces of advice. So number one, have a list of 100 names. I stole this from Will. But it's, it's great advice. Have a list of 100 names. Not just character names, but places for locations, places uh, for yeah. businesses. Just words. All sorts of things. Just words in general that you can mix and mash into names. You're always going to need to make up NPCs on the fly. And just having names, you'll, you'll be one step ahead of the game. Okay. Have a list of 100 plot hooks as well. Hmm. Because... There's going to be lags in your story, which you have not prepared for. And as soon as you hit one of those, just throw in a plot hook. You will always want to have things that are going to be engaging the players and pulling them back into the story. And just having those plot hooks is an easy way for you to connect them right back into the story instead of just struggling to find a way to bring them back in. Oh, and then I think so the last good. thing I have to say is... Have a bunch of random encounter generators ready mm -hmm. to go that are level appropriate. That way you always have something for the players to fight or the, for the players to deal with. So I would also add to that, David, that's really good. Um, uh, it was some advice. I think it was actually from WebDM. They said random encounters don't have to mean fights or things that you fight. It's just any any situation or event, like a, a building catches on fire, right? Like you don't have to go fight the building, though you probably could. This is D and D, um, <laughs> it's a, but just there's it's a giant things mimic. happening. <laughs> a fire mimic. Um, but there's things happening all the time, and having like really diverse, creative uh, things on a table that you just probably wouldn't think of off the top of your head is super helpful, and just making sure that the players never have a chance to get bored. Fantastic. All right, now we head into the vault. Welcome to this week's question vault. If you have a question for 
three of us or even just one of us, you can email us at voxarcanapodcast at gmail.com. This week's question is, what's something that you prepared that your players totally ignored? Oh, this breaks my heart. So this was in the most recent campaign that you guys were in that totally, um, basically what happened is I, I described to them like a bottle with like a floating heart in it and it was it was a piece of loot that they got. I'm like, oh, that's a, like such a cool description and it was like a love potion and they didn't even like do anything. They're just, they just shoved it in their bag and went on their merry way. And then I know there was another one. There were some other things that they... There were most of these are items that they just ignored. There was a key and I had a really cool description for it. And it was gonna like lead them there are all sorts of clues around it that was gonna lead them to this cool dungeon. Totally ignored. Uh there was a letter in this guy's pocket, which they picked up, and they didn't even open it. <laughs> <laughs> so there oh. those are just some things that have been ignored for me. And it and it feels bad. I'm like, oh well, there goes all that like this cool stuff. Now, David, not to be uh, critical. But do you feel like you did everything you could to emphasize those items so that, that we were aware that they were special? And Probably not. Probably not. Like, I, I'm I'm being overly, like, mean on the blame, but... Well, because I'm, I'm actually not remembering any of those items. So I it remember must have just one been, of them. It must have just been, like, a list that you read off to us or something where it just kind of, like, yeah. blurred. I, I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I'm sorry that we ignored your items. No, I was going to bring them up later, but then we didn't get to the next session. Oh, so for me, uh, so right now I'm running Tomb of Annihilation and uh, my guys were looking for a guide to enter the jungle and they go to this um, kind of secret underground bar of this palace um, and it's kind of like a John Wick style, like all of these guides are, are kind of under the same patron and it's kind of really shady and there's basically different booths and you can sit down and talk to each one of the guides and then when you're satisfied you pick one and they go with you into the jungle so i had each one of these there was like eight or nine guides each one of them i had practiced accents for i had got them all ready i had all of their traits bonds flaws everything was prepared for each and every one of them and uh, one of the guys in my group, a tiefling gunslinger, walks down there, sits down with this albino dwarf, and uh, the albino dwarf starts talking, and, and he goes, all right, you'll do. Come on. <laughs> and leaves without talking to anyone else. And I'm like, are you kidding <laughs> And so he just leaves with this albino dwarf that he calls Ivory. Um, <laughs> and and they just go into the jungle. And I was like, man, like there were so many that I had prepared. And he's just like, first one will do. <laughs> wow. I mean, it well, says a lot me. about how this guy shops in real life, I think. Well, it's it was real. funny because I intended the whole group to go down there. And the whole party probably would have talked to other ones. But they were all preoccupied mm-hmm. and they sent him to get a guide. so he just came back with the first one i was like oh but it was redeemed because um you know weeks later in game time they came back um and needed another guide and they eventually talked to all of them so all of my practice was not in vain it was not in vain thank god that's good i I hadn't heard the second half of that story that makes me happy that they were used yeah yeah they were Uh, so (laughs) um I, mine doesn't have a happy ending at all. This was around the... <laughs> so when I first started playing D&D, um, I didn't have a system. I was just rolling a D20. I would make up a target number, and the players would roll, and uh, you know, usually they would get it, which in retrospect is really inconsistent and like up to the whims of the GM, which I, I just don't like anymore, but whatever. Um, so I made up this detailed world. I've, I've mentioned it before. It was essentially Mass Effect in the sense that there's like this huge apocalypse that comes every few hundred years in my world um and it takes all the magic people away i made up i okay i'm embarrassed i made a wiki uh wiki spaces i think it was called and i had a detailed world written i wrote probably like ten thousand words on this wow stupid thing at every opportunity i tried to show my players the world like oh you find a scroll or something right like elder scrolls has all these books you can read and just learn about the world um nobody cares like I can't say it and I can't bold underline italicize it enough. Nobody cares. Mm. And you know, they care about the loot they're getting and maybe the experiences their characters are having. 
Um, but no matter how awesome the cutscene is, where like the temple floor is falling away and the players <laughs> are scrambling, like <clears throat> the the end game stakes for that danger didn't exist. It was completely narrative, and the oh. players just sort of sit there bored, like they would be pressing X on the cutscene to skip it if they could. God. And uh, it, I learned so much, dude, by doing it wrong. Dude, I want to pay X to That's... respect your campaign because it was never used. <laughs> oh, okay. press X to pay respects. <laughs> also, uh, Will's uh, entire wiki will be in the show notes. Oh, no, the, the website <laughs> shut down. Oh, man. So that was the real sad part is that everything Dang. that I wrote was eventually erased without my knowing, and I found out several years later. <laughs> so I wasn't even able to save it. Oh, no. This is just so. tragedy upon tragedy here. No, it was all good. Like I learned a lot. There's a saying I love, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Thank you for listening to Vox Arcana episode 11. I'm William. I'm Jake. And I'm David. We'll see you next time. You can find Vox Arcana on our social media accounts. Our Twitter is at Vox Arcana Pod. Our Facebook is at Vox Arcana Podcast. Our Instagram is at Vox Arcana Podcast. And finally, our email, Vox Arcana Podcast at gmail.com. Our secret MySpace account is out there. The first to find it wins a signed InSync cassette.